0: into our home and our hearts for Soul Talks with Bill and Christy Galtier.
1: We're doctors of psychology and the founders of Soul Shepherding.
0: We offer conversations to help pastors and leaders thrive with Jesus in ministry. That's the point of all our seminars, counseling, retreats, and resources.
1: A great way to get to know Soul Shepherding is through our book, Your Best Life in Jesus' Easy Yoke.
0: Christy, we're still hearing from people that appreciated our series that we did on rest and uh, talked about sabbatical in that. And we're uh, along those lines, we're thankful for our friends Jim and Andrea Middling, who are both pastors at Church of the Open Door, a large church there near Cleveland. And Jim was kind to endorse our sabbatical guide that he used for the time of renewal that he and Andrea enjoyed, which included spending a week on retreat with us and one of our spiritual formation and soul care retreats that we do in soul shepherding, five days of being unplugged for uh, deep experiences in the Lord and and learning and growth in our walk with Jesus and in our soul care. And Jim said about the sabbatical guide for pastors, he said uh, he really appreciated the discernment questions and the uh, loving probes and the care we provided to help him design a sabbatical that was replenishing Of his soul and his marriage.
1: Yeah, so proud of them for doing that and others who do that and really smart and wise for ministry couples to be proactive, not wait till there's a crisis, but really, you know, be intentional to care for their souls.
0: And this has been a great ministry for us, helping pastors and uh, men and women in ministry to take sabbaticals, to advocate for them. And a number of cases we've had uh, churches who will, will pay for this and so that their pastors can get a big space to unplug from their pastoral identity and and rediscover who they are apart from being a pastor and just to uh, renew and refresh and and heal and sometimes do some inner work through intensive counseling or sometimes it's more like retreat-oriented for spiritual renewal. But it's such a good thing that really uh, can bless not only the pastor couple but the church. So it's awesome that we get to do that and uh, I, I love when we get to do it together, you know, when we get to partner as co-counselors, co-soul uh, shepherds to bring encouragement and ministry to a pastor couple. And we have pastor couples that come to us from all over, not just on sabbatical, but other times they'll drive to meet with us. And it's really a, a, a joy when we get to partner together in uh, serving Jesus and his care for a pastor couple.
1: God is a privilege when they trust us and we get to be. Ambassadors of the Lord to them, whether it's in a context of training, which we love to do, and giving them some equipping in an area, or whether it's in a context of just helping them design a space for them to connect with the Lord and reignite in their first love for Christ. And if it's giving them a tune up in their marriage or helping them grow in that way.
0: And sometimes we do some deep therapy work. And that's what we're going to talk about today on Soul Talks. We're talking about when unconscious trauma causes conflict.
1: Yeah, and it's it's always a surprise, I think, to us when that happens. We don't tend to think about our unconscious very much, and I think we tend to kind of go along in life in our conscious, thinking that everything's pretty good, and we're, we're working hard, and we're healthy, and then all of a sudden we can find ourselves in a conflict and be surprised when we really take time to unpack the depth of the emotion.
0: Yeah, sometimes emotion just bursts forth in a situation when we least expect it. And that can be uh, distressing in a relationship, Uh, whether it's marriage or another family relationship or a friendship. When you get blindsided by emotion and maybe you uh, say some things you regret, uh, it can be be hurtful. It can be a lot of conflict and damage that can be caused.
1: We've learned, honey, and it's been really helpful to us that if we do a little archaeology and look and see, is there something... Then I'm feeling now that feels familiar to an experience of when I was younger, mm-hmm. to especially something that maybe was painful, very painful in childhood. Sometimes that can really give us some clues as to what's going on.
0: Yeah, making those connections between our self today and our self as a child and our experiences today and our experiences as a child, a hurt or a conflict that we're dealing with today that similar to something uh, some sort of a pattern uh, in childhood. Those connections are can be very important in our healing and integrating the splits that we can have in our souls. Yeah, and so this came up recently, we were working with a pastor couple uh, who had driven to meet with us and spent some time with us in some intensive sessions for counseling.
1: Yeah, and they had a kind of a recurring conflict come up in their marriage where She was wanting more closeness and intimacy and attention from him. And it was kind of a perfect storm that came up because she got sick. And here at this time that she was feeling pain in her body and wanting comfort and closeness.
0: He was avoiding her because he didn't want to get sick and he, he was needing to prepare for his sermon and wanted to be healthy for that and all of his work and leading.
1: Yeah, and I think intellectually she knew that and understood that and wanted to be able to bless him in that. She didn't want him getting sick either. But inside, she was feeling like she felt as a little girl. And that for her was kind of a a trigger for pain from her childhood.
0: Yeah, because when she was little and she was sick, she would often be alone. And, you know, that's often the case, even well-meaning parents who are caring for their children then I mean, they don't want to get sick and so they'll have their child you know be in the room but when if you're a, an extroverted uh, little girl or little boy and there's hour after hour that you're alone and you know maybe you want your mommy that that can be uh, you feel rejected and abandoned and that can be very painful
1: yeah and so as we were talking about it she got in touch with how not only did she feel kind of rejected and abandoned when she was sick, but she actually felt punished, like as if she was bad for getting sick, because uh-huh. it was it was a stress on the family and on the relationship.
0: Yeah, and people don't often realize that when a child feels alone, especially if it feels rejected or abandoned, they'll tend to go into shame. They'll tend to feel like something is wrong with me. I'm bad because I'm too needy. I'm a burden or they'll they'll personalize the impatience or frustration that their parent has and internalize that as something is wrong with me and that that goes into this place of shame.
1: So that's what she was feeling. And it was, she was feeling it with her husband, not knowing that she was feeling it from a trigger of of all this childhood, you know, feeling of I, I can't have any needs. I can't, you know, I can't ask for anything. I can't want anything. I'm, I'm bad for being sick, and projecting all that into her relationship with her husband.
0: Yeah, and so we helped them to work that out by talking it out, and so helping her to just verbalize the experience and what happened, and to take ownership of that without criticizing her husband like she had done in the first place, but to re-go through it and repair the the conflict that happened between the two of them so that they talked it out in a loving way and help him to listen and to not be defensive and so forth. Uh, But as she did that, she came to some more of a, especially with the empathy we were giving her, but to accept these emotions and this child part of her and then to make, in fact, make the connection that this sort of thing happened when she was a little girl. And that connection to that memory and then talking about the feelings in that context, that really opened up her husband's compassion for her because he had no idea that that was what was going on.
1: So he was able to express sympathy and love for her, and that was really healing for her. But, honey, what about you know that we've got listeners who, if they were to come to their husband and to share something like this that for they got in touch some with
0: some men, if they went to their wife, maybe yeah, two. Yeah, goes both ways.
1: Yeah, you're right. If they were to share something that they got in touch with, you know, from. A, Painful experience as a child that was affecting them in their relationship today. They might get a, a harsh response like, "Well, that's ridiculous. That was thirty-five years ago. Why, you know, why are you th- thinking that that's about what happened today? That's, you know, that's not it at all. You're an adult now."
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a an understandable response from a, a head person that is rational and trying to stay in control and be effective in, in life and so forth. But it's totally discounting the reality of emotion and memories that are unconscious and we all have unconscious emotions and memories most of our mind is unconscious it's that old famous analogy of the the iceberg and the conscious awareness is the tip of the iceberg and underneath the surface of the water is all that we're not conscious of and that's those are memories and and emotions and experiences that are in our body and we've just repressed them and particularly around things that are painful they are staying lodged in the unconsciousness of our bodies and then something will trigger those things and then it will come back but we won't even necessarily know that it's just the meaning we don't necessarily make the connection to the memory we just have this strong emotion and so one of the ways that we as therapists always know when this is happening to someone that we're talking with or even in our own lives is when you've got 100 volts of emotion in a situation that maybe calls for 10 volts it's like oh whoa there's like a big reaction that is beyond the immediate circumstance, well, probably there's some history around something similar, maybe particularly from childhood.
1: So talk to the person who's defended against that, though, who really doesn't want to see that as valid or is really being true, who wants to just think, oh, I don't know, you know, that was so long ago. And how could that have any bearings on what I'm experiencing today?
0: Yeah, well, it's, we like to be in control and we like to be competent and uh, in charge of our lives. And we, we like to think that our ideas and thinking and rational processes and decisions and determination is effective, and that that's where we're living from. And a lot of the things in life, like in, in our work and various things that we do with our time, that's seems true, but it doesn't really carry through to all the details and especially the relationships of life and emotion is a big part of our personalities and our bodies and our relationships and our work and so whether we realize it or not we're having significant emotion in the things that we're doing which is we just might not be conscious of it and so when we go through childhood and we weren't attended to in personal ways with nurture and acceptance and uh, curiosity around our inner experience, that part of us doesn't really develop and we don't know how to bring it into relationship. So we we repress those needs and and feelings. And so we learn to live in our heads and in our busyness and our activity. And we just think that that stuff doesn't really matter. Other people are kind of like that and it's causing them problems, but that's not the way I am. And it's just not true. Even thinking-oriented people have emotion. And some of that emotion is repressed and is tied to memories, some good memories and some bad memories. And it's going to surface in different situations. The only question is whether or not you're aware of that connection and whether you take ownership of that.
1: So if I'm somebody who's not aware of that, why would that be important? Why would I want to be? I mean, why wouldn't I want to just avoid the pain of that awareness?
0: Well one one way to express this is that the the key to success in life is emotional intelligence. So everything that we do in life from our uh, obviously our relationships with our children and our siblings and other family members, our of course our spouse, people that we work with, people that go to church with, all of our relationships to be effective, uh, most effective in our relationships, we need uh, a good Uh, Emotional intelligence in our work, the decisions that we need to make, the people that we need to deal with, the things that we need to accomplish, whatever your work is, if you're working at a fast food restaurant, or you're uh, an accountant, or you're a teacher, or you're the uh, salesperson, or the president of a company, or the pastor, uh, whatever our work is, whatever our service is, if we lead Bible studies, or if we care for people in a counseling or, or spiritual direction context. All, all of these things require that we have an awareness of our emotions. And that's the cornerstone of emotional intelligence is self-awareness. And th- I mean, this has been studied in uh, people who are aware of, uh, able to articulate their feelings and do that in a way that is balanced and they're, uh, they're self-controlled about it. They're not like reactive. They're not like, swinging real high, going real low, but they're able to to moderate their emotions, but actually feel them and, and communicate clearly about what they feel. That is powerfully valuable in all of our relationships and all of our work and helps us to be more effective.
1: I was with a friend this week who was sharing with me how she had a trauma from her childhood triggered when she was with her parents. And she was caring for them. And she saw an interaction between them that was really extreme. And she felt like she felt as a little girl with mm-hmm. them when an interaction like that would happen. And it triggered in her, you know, that trauma. And she was able to, it was beautiful. She was able to have empathy for the little girl in her and how her her little girl felt as a child growing up and experiencing that, witnessing a, she used the word, a cruelty. mm And I was so happy to hear her be able to have that empathy for her own child. And then she was able to bring that part of herself that was so traumatized by the cruelty she'd witnessed as a child. And here she was as an adult, you know, witnessing it again uh, to Jesus.
0: This happened to me the other day, getting a um, heating a cup of soup for you in the microwave. And uh, it was a little over full. And when I got it out of the microwave to bring it to you, it burned me, and I just you know yelped out in pain, and suddenly got real grumpy and grouchy. Then of course that was affected you, and then you felt guilty that I was helping you, and 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 that made it more complicated because I was then sad for you because it had nothing to do with you. But then I realized that I was having my own little unconscious trauma trigger there that I have a hard time with that sort of a situation. Because when I was little, I didn't receive empathy in those mm-hmm. situations. My mom meant really well and was very kind and caring so many ways towards me as a child. But in that situation, she would get upset. Not She wouldn't get angry at me. She'd be very concerned for me. But because of her very sensitive, tender heart, she would feel my pain, and then it would pain her. And so then she would have a big reaction to that and, and be distressed by what happened. But for me, it distracted me and made me concerned for her, and I wasn't really receiving comfort in that exchange. And so I just learned to just repress those distresses and those hurts and needs and try to be strong, which you can't always do in life. And and so when things happen, you you get burned, you you fall, you skin a knee. I would have this tendency to have these reactions like this. And so realizing that and then processing it with you and you listening to me, that was helpful.
1: Well, I'm glad that it was it's here's that's a good example of how these things can get recapitulated mm-hmm. because you know when you burned your thumb, it never occurred to me, oh, this is gonna trigger for him how he felt as a boy. I mean, it You're just right. never occurred to me that it would, and so I wasn't responding to you as the little boy in you that needed empathy and was hurting right. I was instead responding to you thinking, you know, oh, I, I need to fix it for him, you know, hurry up, put under cold water, and put arnica on it, you know, like fix it. Or I was responding from this point of, oh, no, I'm bad. I shouldn't have asked you to do that for me. Mm-hmm. Instead of being able to have any empathy for, you know, the hurt little boy in you.
0: Yeah. And so this awareness of our emotions is so helpful in our communication and our relationships and our work and everything in life, uh, including our faith. It's really important in our relationship with God that we're able to articulate these things, and if we look at it from this standpoint, then experiencing some sort of an emotional trigger or trauma reaction. Uh, well, in one sense, you know, we never would want to go through that because it's distressing. But in another sense, it's an opportunity for greater self-awareness, and then to express our our need to someone who w- would listen to us with uh, an interest and and a warmth, and offering us acceptance and validation that we need. Because then now that part of ourself, the the emotion, the memory, the the need inside that's been repressed and in a sense rejected, now it begins to come into the awareness, and we can accept that part of ourself and reintegrate it into our personality and and heal that split where there's been a cutoff there of that that emotion, that memory, that child part, and then when that's reintegrated into ourself, we can bring that into All that we are and all that we do, including our relationship with the Lord, which is exactly what the kind of thing that the psalmist does uh, and other men and women in the Bible who are examples, they model this sort of very authentic, vulnerable, honest prayer about the the real life struggles and challenges and hurts and conflicts and putting emotion words to those things and and crying out Mm -hmm. to God. About things. And as we are becoming more aware emotionally, it really helps us to mature and be more effective in everything that we do in life and ministry.
1: Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you welcome the little children to you and that you go after the little children in us, the hurt children in us that need your touch, that you help us take your hand and go to them with empathy, listen to them, grow in an awareness, and bring them to you and your people in a context where we can be heard and receive empathy and understanding and, and healing for those areas where we've been hurt and we've repressed those and we've, we're living defended against those. And thank you that you help us to be able to become aware of what's going on in us so that we can own that and and how it's playing out in a relationship and a conflict uh, in a way that's hurtful and stressful so that we can return back to a place of joy and connection and love. Continue this good work, Lord, in each of us and through us. Amen. Mm -hmm. Thank you for being a part of our soul shepherding
0: community. Do you receive our weekly devotional emails? They're inspiring and free. You can sign up on soulshepherding.org.
1: We love hearing your comment, questions, and requests for podcast topics.
0: It's also a blessing when you share Soul Talks with a friend.